concerning new texts have surfaced in the investigation of the NYPD's role in Eric Garner's death, we have the details. Then Diablo Cody, the writer of Juno, says she'd write her movie differently today. And there might be a new Batman on the horizon. That's all ahead. This is Relevant Daily. It's relevant. It's relevant daily. Relevant daily. Relevant daily. It's relevant daily. Hey everyone, I'm Tyler Daswick. Welcome to Relevant Daily, where we bring you what's happening at the intersection of faith and culture. All those stories are coming up, but first, I want to tell you today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all possible with Squarespace. They have award-winning templates, customizable settings, and powerful e-commerce solutions. And right now, Squarespace is offering Relevant Daily listeners a special deal. Head over to squarespace.com relevant for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your site, use offer code relevant to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash relevant. All right. To tell us about today's stories, you talk about a teen heartthrob turned serious artist. It's Tyler Huckabee. <laughs> hey, Daz. How you doing? Hey, man. Uh, I am excited to talk about Batman a little later. But uh, first, we have some new information in the Eric Garner case. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so Eric Garner, as I'm sure most people remember, died in 2014 in New York City. He was put into an illegal chokehold by police. Uh, he was the one who said, I can't breathe 11 times. Uh, before he was before he was killed, and that uh, of course gave rise to that as a chant, and, and really provided a lot of the early impetus for the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, there were no indictments in that case, but there is a trial going on right now in which some new information has come to light about his death. Text messages. So, what exactly do these texts say? Do they do they change the uh, kind of course of the trial, perhaps? Well, it, it seems like they confirm a lot of the worst suspicions of people who said that his death was an injustice and was the result of a certain lack of care and concern on the part of the, the New York cops. So Lieutenant Christopher Bannon uh, was the man who, is, who dispatched officers to Garner's location on the day of his death. In those new released text messages between him and Sergeant Dannon Samanath, it was revealed that Bannon said of Garner's death in a text, quote, not a big deal. We were effecting a lawful arrest. Wow. Uh, Sam Manath was on the scene for Garner's death, and the text messages were released as part of Officer Daniel Pentaleo's disciplinary trial. Pentaleo was the man who put Garner in the illegal illegal chokehold that killed him. Uh, court reporters said there were gasps in the room when the text exchange was read out loud. Um, so, and then Garner's mother, Gwen Carr, told reporters that the text was, quote, a pure smack in the face. Uh, she hadn't been aware of these texts until they were read out loud in court. She said, for the officer to disregard a human life like that, in other words, it was business as usual. Leave him there. Do what you want to do. Go on about your business. That's what it felt like to me, she said. So this is part of another there was a similar case that we've discussed here on the daily just a couple of weeks ago where there was new information that came out about that sandra bland try uh, her her death that took place not too long after eric garner's in which there was information the public wasn't privy to about these very contentious very controversial deaths uh, of people of black people at the hands of police uh, so it raises questions about just how much information is the public privy to for trials like these and uh, in the court the court of public opinion is often so ferocious and so divisive uh do we need to have more information and before we can safely judge what really happened and what steps need to be taken in the future to make sure that there is
requires proper oversight for police arrests like these. Absolutely. Uh, turning to film reappraisal news, Diablo Cody, writer of Juno, says uh, in the wake of the current uh, discourse about abortion, she might have some regrets about the movie. Yeah, it's interesting how how uh, somebody who created a, a very popular piece of art, a very well-received piece of art, in this case a movie, that uh, that time and, and the cultural conversation have sort of led to, to her expressing some regret about how she handled it. Uh, Diablo Cody has always been a little uncomfortable with the way that pro-life groups have viewed Juno, which came out in 2007. Of course, it's about a teenager who gets pregnant, decides to give the baby up for adoption, uh, and there's she very pointedly refuses to have an abortion in the movie. Um, she, but but Diablo Cody uh, isn't. A, she wants to make it clear, and has always wanted to make it clear that she is pro-choice. She is. She is not opposed to abortion. She even called a letter that was sent to her by her old Catholic high school, thanking her for Juno. Horrifying. Um, wow. And now, in light of these new heartbeat bills sweeping the, they're sweeping the nation. She says she feels like she'd write the movie very differently to make it clear that she considers abortion to be a viable option for teens who get pregnant. Uh, she said on the Keep It podcast, quote, I don't even know if I would have written a movie like Juno if I had known that the world was going to spiral into this hellish alternate reality that we now seem to be stuck in. The Georgia thing is horrifying. It's honestly something I've been kind of thinking about continuously in an endless dark feedback loop. It sucks. She said when she wrote Juno, quote, I wasn't thinking as an activist. I wasn't thinking politically at all. So uh, some really interesting and obviously very controversial regrets that she's expressing here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, Juno, you're right, is kind of that movie that pro-life groups point to and, and really champion and celebrate as, oh, wow, mm. it was this is something they feel was really representative to them in mainstream media. It was Juno was right. kind of seen as a pro-life moment. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And, and I think that that was, and it was really upheld by adoption groups too, uh, which was, it was a big boon for them to have this depiction, a very uh, a friendly, avuncular depiction of adoption on stage. Uh, and, but, and it doesn't sound like Cody regrets that part of it. It doesn't, she hasn't said that she would change the movie so that there was, so that Juno uh, decided to end her pregnancy. It sounds like she just wishes that she had depicted abortion as a bit more of a, of again, a viable option. Uh, she said, in a way, I feel like I had a responsibility to maybe be more explicitly pro-choice, and I wasn't. I think I took the right to choose for granted at the time. Um, she told The Guardian last year, and this is based on your uh, your reporting here, Daz. Uh, she said, I don't feel I was clear enough in terms of why Juno chose to not have an abortion. It was simply because she didn't want to. In other words, not because of any moral opposition to abortion. So that should make uh, maybe pro-life groups... Uh, think a little before they decide to use Juno as a, uh, a, a, a sort of a, a way to champion the cause because it sounds like the writer herself does not see it that way. Right. And and in the text of the movie too, you know, Ellen, Ellen Page's character never comes out and says, you know, I'm not doing this because abortion is wrong. She just kind of, you know, for whatever reason gets <laughs> uncomfortable in the clinic and walks yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, and it's difficult because autorial intent aside, it obviously is a really lovely picture of what can happen with adoption. Oh, and yeah. adoption groups have been really have been really grateful for that movie. So sort of complicated and, and contentious comments all around. Uh, finally, Huck, our, our last story, The Bat is back. 
Yeah, Batman is coming again. Are, are you, do you think the world is ready for another Batman movie, Tyler? I don't think I'm ready for another Batman. <laughs> I'm, I'm still suffering from Batfleck. Well, let me tell you why I think there's reason to be maybe cautiously optimistic about this next Batman movie. And it's, uh, for starters, it's two words, Matt Reeves. Uh, I know you and I are both big fans of the writer, director of this next Batman movie coming out supposedly in 2021 at this point. Matt Reeves helmed those Planet of the Apes movies uh, that that are very well received and are some of the most thoughtful, intellectually interesting uh, summer blockbuster movies of the last decade or so. So the, the idea of having somebody as intelligent as him on Batman is is pretty intriguing. But then, of course, the news that I'm sure most people who are listening are already familiar with is is the not yet completely confirmed, but looking very likely news that Rob Pattinson is going to be the next Batman. Um, And this has gotten some uh, some pushback. A lot of Bat fans aren't too happy about this idea, but I'm interested in your take on it, Daz. Well, I I think that Pattinson obviously is most famous uh, and, and really had his breakout role in the Twilight movie franchise uh, uh-huh. as, as the kind of uh, teen vampire heartthrob uh, Edward Cullen and that's kind of how most people still see him which is a shame because since that franchise he's taken on some really thoughtful uh, sort of artful dramatic roles linking up with really good directors and has built a really really respectable career for himself as a legitimately interesting actor so I, personally like when you say Rob Pattinson, I'm kind of on board for that. I, I think I am too. I, I think he has sort of the, I, I think the idea of trying to make Batman a really cool, tough guy is obviously interesting, obviously very popular. But then you think back to those old Michael Keaton movies and how having someone just a little left of center, maybe who can depict sort of uh, emotionally or mentally just slightly unhinged, it can be a really interesting look for a guy who, let's be clear, dresses up like a bat to go out and fight <laughs> crime. I, I don't think that's a necessarily a bad or unfair characterization. Um, we'll, we'll obviously keep an eye on this and once it gets confirmed if it gets confirmed we'll report it here but in the meantime there's another rumor that's come out about this movie which is that it's going to feature a a couple different villains uh, chief among them the penguin and Catwoman so Uh, that's what you have to look forward to for a 2021 Batman movie on that uh, Batman forever lane I'm into it oh yeah oh yeah I I don't I I miss those days a lot and would look forward to to going back to them always fun talking superheroes with you Tyler thanks for coming (laughs) thanks thanks Daz That is The Daily. To read more about those stories and everything else we're covering today, make sure to check out the homepage at relevantmagazine.com. Also, for the latest, you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Relevant and on Facebook and Instagram at Relevant Magazine. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our print magazine and all our other podcasts. We're here every weekday, bringing you the latest at the intersection of faith and culture. Thanks for listening, everyone. This is Relevant Daily. Relevant Daily.